Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. Syracuse somehow is 4-0, somehow is 2-0 in the ACC, and somehow as of today is number 25, not only in our hearts, but in the coaches poll. And if they're 25 in our hearts, you're probably not listening to this podcast, Uh, but we're here for another week to talk about the orange and what happened on Saturday because, well, there's a lot to unpack. Uh, I'm Steve Haller, as always, with me, Christian DeGuzman and Andy Pregler. What's going on, guys? Syracuse and Virginia put up the exact amount, same amount of points that Syracuse and Purdue did in the fourth quarter. <laughs> wow. And, I mean, that final score was pretty apt for a Syracuse-Virginia basketball game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That that was the uh, that was the twenty eighteen or nineteen season opener. Which one was it? The one where. Oh. Yeah, that was. Oh. That, that might was be 19, nineteen. That was nineteen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was the nineteen season opener. Forgot about how some of those rock fights really just were not fun to watch. Like no. I did not enjoy my time. No, thank you. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, yeah, so we're uh, we get to talk about another Syracuse win. The Orange, uh, as mentioned, are now four and zero, which is kind of wild when you look at the way when you've watched the games. Uh, somebody that I mentioned that I was talking to uh, during the game was saying that this is either karma getting coming back around for the three game stretch last year, or we are going to lose some really stupid games down this down that stretch. Uh, after the bye week. And I don't know which one I like better because on the one hand, if this is karma for last year, great. Just then we can go back to some normalcy, some normal games where like maybe things aren't as close uh, in the in the back half of the schedule. Uh, but on the other hand, close games are fun. Close games are uh, crazy. And Syracuse has now had two in a row where they have at times looked vastly inferior to the team that they are playing across. Um, but unlike the Purdue game, this game started with the Orange really hitting uh, all the notes that they needed to hit, minus the the run game struggles, which we'll get to in a bit. So, Christian, 
what did you like about this game overall? Because I think that there's a lot of things that we can take away from this and say, like, aside from 4-0, and like, this was a better, I thought this was a better game than the Purdue game, uh, all things considered. Uh, what I liked is that I think the Syracuse defense is hopefully starting to realize that if you allow the linebacker, linebackers to blitz all the time, good things usually happen. And, yeah, good things happen when the linebackers come in with the blitz. And even if it's just two of them and not all three, like, hey, yes, it wasn't against a Virginia offensive line that is basically somehow at the same level of Syracuse's offensive line, which is question mark, question mark, question mark. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Th- it should give Syracuse confidence because it showed it against Purdue last week and the thesis was upheld this week that when the linebackers support in a pass rush, good things usually happen. And the linebackers supporting in the pass rush helps because it forces the quarterback to make quick decisions and forces them into situations they're not comfortable in, which creates chaos in the secondary and allows stuff for Syracuse to go well defensively. And that's probably how Syracuse wins its games from here on out. It's let Michael Jones and Marlo Wax do their thing and cause often opposing offensive lines to have a bad day. And you can keep guy, teams off the field with those two guys performing well. Yeah, and you mentioned a name there that I do want to dive into a little more. Uh, we We know what to expect from Jones at this point. Uh, prior to the year, we knew Wax was going to be good, but he's performing at a level that's on par with Mikel at this point. Yeah. And it's, I, I, to have two linebackers of that caliber, and like you're saying, to have two linebackers of that caliber and be able to unleash them and say, go run, go free, <laughs> go find the QB. Mm-hmm. It's, it adds a dimension. Yeah. And, and it, they play different roles as well, because Mikel still is a hybrid QB spy pass rusher because he's the middle linebacker yep. where Marlo Wax is the Marcus Ware, where his right. primary job as an outside linebacker is take the quarterback's head off. Mm-hmm. And he's doing that pretty well. And I'm curious if that was an audible from what it would have been if Stefan Thompson was healthy. If Wax would have been in more of a stand-up backer role, and if Thompson would have been the go get him type uh, asset. I think we would have needed to flush that out a bit more, especially with Steve Linton point, playing on Thompson's side of the ball mm-hmm. from what we've seen from Linton. Um, so maybe, maybe, maybe that changes, especially with yeah, um, if Thompson didn't go down, like maybe do you see? a bit more Linton in there to cause a bit more confusion. But yeah. And I guess, I guess that's the thing with Thompson down. We had to rely on Derek Mick to, Oh wait, he was down too. Uh-huh. So, so against Virginia, we ended up going to the third slash fourth slash whatever string. It was, it's more, uh, it was more like plateau two and a half. of, yeah, because, we, because Leon Lowry and Anwar Sparrow were both on the two deep, just yeah. not at, that position right yeah so i guess i guess yeah it is like the two and a half two and three quarters rather than Mm -hmm. uh going to the threes um but yeah sparrow and lowry both got a good bit of run to you know fill the 
fill the hole. I think Sparrow started and then Lowry rotated in. Yes. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't say they did anything egregiously wrong. Like they, they played one of those games where you didn't hear their name called. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. for 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 someone deputizing as you know an emergency, oh you're you're in. Like that's not a bad bad place to be, especially when you've got those other two. And for the and for the defense just in general, like pretty much everyone played that game. The only time we heard defenders' names called was when they were doing good things, i.e. Garrett Williams. Right. So like that was a good sign from last week as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Garrett Williams, we can probably unpack a little more because if he doesn't get the game ball, I don't know who does. Just from yeah. a, yeah, yes, Jones did Jones things, led the team in tackles, steady hand, did his thing. Williams was the uh, the flash guy, and it, I guess that's that's become his his thing of crazy crazy picks out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, he he had the highest grade overall grade for the defense on PFF and 82.7 and pass breakups, the interception, like, yes, he's not facing the same talent that he was last week in Charlie Jones, but to see him, because fans were definitely questioning Garrett after his performance against Charlie Jones, but that was Charlie Jones who is continuing to work his way up to a, potential day one or two draft spot in the NFL. Right. And, and and also big chunk of his problem against Jones was strictly because he got his feet tangled. Like, yeah. Yeah. If it wasn't for that play, Jones has a relatively pedestrian for him day. What he's yeah, done exactly. this year. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. And so, you know what you're going to get from Garrett. And that was a good, you know, silence haters right. type of thing. Yeah, I mean, Champ Bailey had days where he was getting, you know, he, he would get tripped up on occasion. Not often, because, yeah, exactly. well, he's the GOAT. But. Champ Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, you know, speaking of the three and four deep, his uh, reminder, his nephew is on uh, on the roster. Oh, wow. Oh, Kate, right. completely Kate, forgot about that. Caden Bailey, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. That's, that's <laughs> its boss's son, so <laughs> he's got the pedigree. <laughs> we have a couple of those with Aronde Gatsett in the second Yep. As well. And of yeah, course, you, uh, me- you have to mention that the day that the Dolphins beat my Bills. Yep. Like, I was bringing. Mm-hmm, yeah. The name Gadsden just brings back bad memories. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah. We also have Jason the... Simmons Sr. and Jason Simmons Jr. as mm-hmm. well. There you go. Mm-hmm. Listen, as long as you don't go ballistic like your OC did, I think that then we're, <laughs> we're all good. Uh <laughs> Um, which I think the defensive conversation that you guys are talking about is actually a really good point to the larger issue that is very apparent on the defense. This team, their playmakers play best when they're in passing situations. The linebackers are great at like one of the things that I thought the linebacking group was doing really, really well. Um, and Steve, you can probably add actual football words to this, but just from what I was watching, um, the they the D line was creating spaces and creating mismatches. The linebackers were able to just explode through any bit of space, or they were able to create space for themselves in ways that are typically reserved for guys that are much bigger and stronger uh, than they look. And again, like as a Steelers fan, I'm used to watching uh, T.J. Watt, who's a big dude, but like relatively speaking, he's an average size linebacker. Just right. use his body to get leverage on on outside guys. 
Um, and so sometimes you see the linebackers do that, but they work so well having pressure coming up the middle. Like, they do a great job twisting in and out of blocks. They do a great job of exploding through holes that get opened up on double teams um, or design double teams. It's it's something where um, I was listening to the Ringer NFL podcast talk about how pressure rates stats are starting to evolve at the NFL where they're tracking, like, where the pressure comes from because there's a direct correlation between up-the-middle pressure and defensive success rate that doesn't quite exist on the edge, even though we give the edge pressures, you know, they're, they can be super disruptive, but it's also kind of easier to step out of that if you don't have pressure coming up the middle. Meanwhile, yeah. when pressure's coming up the middle, it's far more disruptive. And what I think Syracuse has done against mobile quarterbacks like Brandon Armstrong, like Malik Willis last year, uh, like we saw in the Louisville game against with Malik Cunningham this year, they do such a great job of forcing that pressure up the middle that arms that all these mobile quarterbacks don't have the ability to step up in the pocket and then run free where they basically have to make a decision okay do i scramble left do i scramble right and syracuse then uses that sideline as an extra defender to minimize the damage and i thought that they did that a lot in this game i thought the linebackers did really well at that and i'm realizing that this might actually be something schematic that tony uh that tony white is coming up with um, in in the game plan when we're playing against quarterbacks that like to to move around, um, and it it's really effective. So unfortunately, there's a chance that that was a was that all of what you said was a was because we have to note one thing that happened in this game was Terry Lockett mm -hmm. went down with what looks to be a very not good uh, lower body injury, um, and uh, Kayvon Darton ended up coming in for the rest of the plays uh you know played a played an admirable role uh also was our not as good as the louisville game where he was a man on fire no i mean the two of them were our lowest rated run defenders but yeah. at the same time um i guess the question will be <laughs> at, the, moving... at the same time will shipley is having some fun right now yeah yeah um <laughs> the with those two I feel like the way PFF grades probably doesn't give them the credit that they need, though, uh, since they're probably looking at, you know, stops and actual action and whatnot. Uh, whereas the two of them, their one function is be a body, take up space, ideally take two people on or make them at least commit two people to trying to block you and let people run free around you. And I think I think Lockett's done an admirable job of that at this point. Uh, Darton as well, um, to a degree. We just don't have the the film on him that we would have. Um, looks like uh, the next man in also will be Elijah Fuentes Cundiff. So um, we'll see we'll see where that goes. Uh, I I think that's that's going to be an update on the depth chart this week, um, assuming because that Lockett injury did not look good. The, the lock injury is terrifying because when you consider who else is gone from the that general position group, when you consider how thin it was and what Syracuse has to do. Oh, look. Oh, I like that seltzer. Um, Steve is drinking what I currently have stocked in my fridge. Um, but yeah, in general, that defensive group is getting to a point where I think that the backups are going to perform admirably. I don't think that we're going to look at this and go, oh, these are this is like a terrible situation. 
but it does make the team significantly weaker in ways that are going to be challenging to overcome considering who Syracuse has on the schedule um, after the bye week. Like, Notre Dame and Clemson especially, like, if we do not get interior pressure, if we cannot find a way to schematically work around it, we're not going to win a one-on-one battle in those trenches. Um, period. End of story. And so it becomes, those injuries become really daunting from a, from a lot of perspectives. And I am, I am slightly concerned long-term. Uh, Christian, one of the things that we've talked about a lot here is that the run defense is not where it needs to be. And I think it's now getting to a point where this is, no, this is no longer a trend. This is just what we live in, where the Syracuse run defense is not very good. Um, and it's getting to the point where I'm very happy we play in the ACC where everybody wants to pass it and nobody's really content to just kind of hand it off. But this does seem like something that a smart team could very easily exploit uh, moving forward without, without much effort. Especially since not everyone uh, that Syracuse plays is going to have a quarterback wide receiver duo like Purdue did with... Aiden O'Connell and Charlie Jones, where you can reliably take deep shots and get favorable results over 50% of the time. What we saw against Virginia is that the Cavaliers' offense looked its best when they were just chipping away and slowly moving the chains without the tempo of Dino Babers in 2016 and 2017. That's basically what it was. It was slowly gaining five yards every single play, whether it was a run-through or a pass, and just slowly marching up the field. Yeah. Because apart from the Pena fumble into score, the touchdowns for Virginia came on pretty extended drives. And, And pretty much all of the plays on those extended drives went for four to eight yards. But that was enough to move the chains consistently. And I think that's a pattern we see throughout the rest of the year, is that if Syrac- Syracuse's defense is great at stopping mid to long range. Yes, Virginia helped out by their wide receivers dropping a couple of balls, but that still remains the point, is that short, is mid to long range, the Syracuse defense is pretty stout at handling opposing offenses. It's that short range that Syracuse has had problems with because corners are the corners are not doing great at fighting off wide receiver screens. The defense is already set up that soft coverage is played on anything within 10 yards. And now with the locket injury that we've talked about, that middle is Michael Jones fighting against everybody. So... I mean, to be fair, I'd take Jones in that battle. Me but too, but the, like... The, the um, line is definitely uh, shrinking. <laughs> exactly. So, like, you you, you need you need some help, yeah. basically. If you're going to... Especially against teams that are slowly going to start realizing that and say, okay, we can take a couple of deep shots to keep them honest, but then let's just methodically march down the field, own time of possession, and win that way. Because that's how Syracuse lost most of its games the past three years. The defense on the field for an extremely long time, 
the offense on a three and out or four and out. And then the defense has to do it all over again. And we could slowly start to see that happen once again. Um, not to completely derail this conversation and not that we play them this year. Um, Jeff Collins has just been fired by Georgia Tech. That took uh, way too long. Well, his buyout was allegedly uh, $11.5 million, And if they waited until January, it only dropped to $9.5 million. Oh, At uh, that point, um, yeah, just can't. You're not yeah, giving, well, you're the not question giving was, him for two years. Well, the question, yeah, I was going to say, the question then became, if you're Georgia Tech, do you, ha- if you are Georgia Tech, do you have $11.5 million lying yeah, around? But, but then, that you but then do you tank, but then you tank your program to the fact where it's like, hey, let's wait until January and then fire him. It it seems like a very terrible situation um, all around for Georgia Tech, uh, because there is there is no easy way out of this. And uh, just letting you know, Twitter is having a fun time with this because the number one, uh, the first post on the Georgia Tech message board uh, is to ask if Tommy Tuberville is currently doing anything at the moment. Uh, So the ACC might get, maybe might get more chaotic. Uh, Syracuse has Georgia Tech on the schedule next year. Just want to let everybody know that that is a game that is taking place down in Atlanta. I will oh, be going to the game. That's the start um, of the three five five, right? Yes, yes. Next year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's going to be going to be really interesting to see what happens with all these things. But just uh, for the Tony White assistant coach or Tony White getting a promotion conversation, there is one more opening with a school that I think would actually kind of profile well to White. Um, I think they might want somebody with a more offensive background uh, in that role, but just just something to keep in mind. Um, anyways, also side note: um, as we've mentioned, Syracuse is ranked. Um, hey, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as I, I love Reddit college football because they always post all the AP ballots and the the actual position of where. Uh, voters put Syracuse, Syracuse in this case, or all the teams in yeah. their respective ballots. Two okay. writers have Syracuse as high as twenty-one. <laughs> uh, I love them, and I would like them to be my friends. Uh, unless one is, is named Nate Mink. <laughs> is their zip code one three two zero two? Nate, Nate actually did not have Syracuse in his uh, top twenty-five rankings. I feel like sane, sane Syracuse writers would not. Yeah. I, if you've watched the team, actually, this is a great segue. Um, actually, that's a topic of conversation that we'll get into after we talk about the team a little bit, uh, after we talk about the offensive side of the ball. Um, the offense was interesting. O- offensive? Yeah. I Do you guys want to talk about the good things or do you want to talk about the bad things first? What do you so, think? Uh, so first, first half or second half is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, let's. Yeah. So first time, first time here. Well, you know uh, what? Yeah. Um, let's since since it's about approximately that. Let's take it to halftime first. Actually, yes, that's fair. This is halftime, and this is where we talk about our favorite friends, Home Field Apparel, sponsors of today's podcast and sponsor of all of our podcasts. Uh, they make the finest vintage collegiate apparel that you will find uh also if for some reason you just want really comfy t-shirts hoodies um 
joggers, anything that doesn't have collegiate mascots on them because you live a sad, boring life or have a job where you have to look somewhat professional. Understand that struggle. Uh, they also make uh, they have basics collection now where you can just buy home field stuff without the pretty uh, graphics on it. But I highly suggest you look at the graphic tees. Um, I can tell you that a little birdie is telling me that there is going to be some more Syracuse things coming down the pipeline. So if you are somebody who has a lot of home field Syracuse stuff like myself and you would like more of it, there is more on the way. But for those of you that have not yet purchased a home field apparel shirt, uh, for your first time uh, buying from home field apparel, use promo code NUNES, N-U-N-E-S, for 10% off your first order. Again, we appreciate our friends at Home Field Apparel for sponsoring us or, and providing us with some very fun vintage apparel, like the Vita the Goat shirt that I wear with pride all the time and got to teach somebody the other day at a bar why Syracuse's first mascot was a goat. It made me very happy. Um, anyways, I feel like if you, have goat, to, if you buy the shirt, you have to like learn the story <laughs> verbatim. Like, <laughs> it is. It so- comes hand in hand. <laughs> They should just send, like, a little place card. Like, you know how when <laughs> yeah. you order from Homage, you get, like, baseball cards? When you order from Home Field, <laughs> yep. you get the story of whatever the mascot yeah. is that you're buying. <laughs> That's great. Oh, God. Connor, give me, give me more shirts. That's a good idea. Not to make more work on you. Um, all right. Speaking of things that were way more work than they needed to be, the Syracuse offense. Um, the uh... which, which somehow, and, and I note, uh, the Syracuse offense... Uh, amassed 352 yards. How did that happen? Oh, I know how it happened, but... Right, and, and Virginia only opted for the... Uh, opted as if they had a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, 287. So, Cuse outgained them by a good field, almost. And, uh, yeah. The box score is one of those things where I went on Bill C expecting Syracuse to have a really low... Um, post-game win expectancy because of how dumb the game was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually, if you look at the box score, yeah, this was a close game that Syracuse should probably win because the only thing that kept it close was fumble luck. Um, Syracuse losing three fumbles in a game is not something that uh, is likely to happen again. Right, two nor... of which in the red zone. Yeah, like that's just, that is that is legitimately the definition of fumble luck and why turnovers are more of a... Uh, inconsistent stat and not something that you should actually base team performance off of. I digress. Um, Steve, the thing that we've got to talk about is the run, the run offense. Um, at this point, what, I feel what, what run offense? <laughs> Sorry, did you see one, Chris? Kristen, did you see one? Um, I saw Sean Tucker. I saw Sean Tucker attempting to run the ball, but then realizing that all he saw in front of him was white jerseys instead of orange and blue jerseys. Oh, okay. Is that what happened? Got it. That's what happened. Um, Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One of these days, I need to... Schrodinger's runoff. It's usually a bad thing when the only thing you see in front of you is the opposing team jerseys and not your jerseys of the guys that are supposed to be blocking for you. Yeah, like, Cuse finished with 75 rushing yards. I think Tucker was in the 60s, and most of that came right at the end of the game where he broke a couple, like, 10-yarders um, against... Tucker had exactly 60 yards, averaging 2.9 yards a carry. Yeah, not great, Bob. Um, and it, there was a weird penchant for uh, him running directly into the ass of the guard or center. And it's like, why... Why do you take a guy like him and not give him space to run? But uh, 
I get the I get the concept of wanting to establish a run game and wanting to, wanting to establish an interior run game. Uh, however, if the interior run game is not working, please move away from it. Like we we had this complaint about various other offensive coordinators. Uh, I thought we had gotten out of that with the hiring of an A. Apparently, we're still in that mix. Um, it's not George DeLeon run run pass punt bad, but it's it's like why keep doing the same thing over and over. Um, I w- again, I'd be curious to be in his mind as to why he was calling the plays he was, uh, but we're not going to get there. So we get to prognosticate on a whole bunch of things we don't understand, but are trying to. The the moment that I knew the run offense was going poorly was when the Schrader option runs that he normally ill advises ill advisedly tucks instead of pitching to Sean Tucker. Every single time, I was like, "Yeah, it's a good idea not to pitch it." Um, now, I also don't like my quarterback getting hit at the line of scrimmage every single time either. But there were there were there was not a single time during the game where I thought that there was space to run through. I, I don't think there was. What do you got, Chris? Yeah, the, uh, the concerning thing also, to your point, Andy, is that there wasn't a lot of that either. Right. There was, like, how many option plays can you really remember from that game? You can remember there, a lot from Purdue, but against Virginia? Like, I feel like there were a good number of RPOs or, like, uh, basic options that were run that or Schrader is just, as Mike pointed out during the game, very hesitant or slow in his handoff recently, or for some reason. That could be, a, yeah, that could be also the case. Like uh, there were there were a couple where he was handing it to Tucker, and it's like, oh, if he got that, there was a hole, but it closed up quick, and it felt like it took too long to get him the ball. So, as a team as a whole, um, looking at PFF's uh, rushing direction stuff, um. Syracuse ran, of course, most of their plays um, through the A's and through the A and B gaps. Uh, six plays in total through the A gaps, and um, uh, four plays through the B gaps. Uh, the concerning thing is like also when Syracuse tried to go around the C gap, they went four times to. Uh, Matthew Berger on side, the left side. They went seven times to Dakota Davis's side and the right side. And a PFF grade showed that Bergeron had a much better time than Dakota Davis in terms of blocking around the C-gap, his side. Yeah, and one of these and, days I need to get some time. Can can Does anybody want to take a five-year-old for the next couple of nights so I can actually rewatch this game? No? Yeah, okay. I'm. Uh, <laughs> I don't live in Syracuse, so no, I cannot help you. Yeah, New York City and Jersey aren't really helping me, but no. I, no. I think you're you're possibly onto something. Or I'm also very curious as to rewatch what Virginia was scheming. Yeah, because live I couldn't tell, but there was there had to have been something that was keying them off, because even Schrader, like even his scrambles, they were either. You know, I mean, yes, they were spying in the second half, but even in the first half, he wasn't finding room to run. He wasn't like they were they were locking the run down first and letting him pass. And so we then we go to, yes, yeah, like Andy said, there was the want to establish the interior run. However, at some point, you got to realize that it's not working. And so. I am. 
I'm a little the thing that disappointed me the most is that it seems like most of the play calls were A B gap runs. And then the we didn't really see too many outside the tackle runs. Um like that were significantly outside the tackles, not through the C gaps, right. but like significantly around the offensive line towards numbers, pitches. Right. Stuff like that, some sort of or design, or yeah, or designed runs outside the tackles. Yeah, and it was all just again banging up the middle. And the frustrating is, is that's a Syracuse problem that we've been frustrated about for God knows how long, the past decade. Like that, that is a problem that you would have hoped by now Syracuse would have gotten out of that, but like. But it was, okay, it's not working. We're still going to do it anyway, which was frustrating to see. We'll, we'll give it a shot. Why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. yeah. There's, th- there's a lot that I think you can look at with the run game struggles and say that it's a, all a combination of, um, it's a combination of scheme, it's a combination of individual play call decisions, and it's an it's an issue of execution, uh, both up front with the line play, and with what's happening, you know, in in certain moments. You know, Tucker's desire to cut uh, left right at some point in time is is well documented here. Um, but one of the things that I also thought was really interesting is that again we we were talking about this pre-show, um, but the decision making uh, of Schrader's passing attack. Um, definitely seems like he was, the stat line looks great. He was 22 of 33 for 277 yards, 8.4 average, um, but didn't have a touchdown and threw a pick. And most importantly, like, I don't love QBR as a, as a holistic stat, but it is actually kind of, it is kind of helpful to give you a game by game basis of, um, what is this? Did this quarterback have a good game or a bad game? And QBR gave Schrader a 47 out of a hundred, um, which I think shows that even though that stat line looks pretty, uh, Schrader was not having his best stuff. Again, for the second game in a row, and this game, it looked less of the ball coming out of his hand poorly and more of the decision-making, ignoring Sean Tucker in the flat a bunch, um, not really using the middle of the field um, after that interception, like he basically got scared away and looked exclusively to the edges. Uh, there were a lot of things that in this game could be put on his decision making, um, because it looked like again from the TV. Would love to watch this game with an all twenty-two. It looked like they were running plenty of routes over the middle of the field, and it was actually. Um, I want to talk about him next, but Aronde Gatson going over the top over the middle was really the only time that Trader looked somewhere else. Um, other than his comfort zone. Well, and Kevin picked up something in the game in the second half uh, that they were that Virginia was dropping their mic and spying like a deep spy, um, basically spying and then coming up on run support as soon as uh, it was you know apparent. Um, and, and I feel like that's you know very effective at taking away that middle of the field, but it also should take away somebody from somewhere else. And we did see numerous times, like Tucker on a wheel route. I can, I mean, I was in the press box. It's not a great vantage point to watch the game. Um, you you would think that, like, they would put press in a place where they could figure out what the hell's going on. 
trying to watch it is like trying to watch it from the 200s anywhere in the dome, which is not a great vantage point. That's why I brought binoculars to the press box. Yeah, hindsight should probably, like I have, you know, 17 pairs of the damn things, so I should bring bring some. But um, the, like at least twice, Tucker on a wheel route was completely like, Schrader could have had at least 80 more yards on one that I can distinctly remember in the fourth quarter where Tucker had no one within 40 yards of him. You have the best player on the field, like the most talented player on the field either side of the ball with 40 yards of space and you don't even look at him. And instead you try and throw something across the middle to nothing. Um, it It's a weird situation and it's something we've complained about for quarterbacks for a long time. Um, Schrader actually looked much better in the, and I guess, I don't know if he looked much better in the first two games or if he was able to hit his first reads much more reliably in the first two games. And so it wasn't quite as apparent, but Purdue and this game, this game, especially you could see that he's, he's falling into the quote unquote DeVito of not looking to his checkdowns and locking in on a receiver. Um, something we complained complained about Tommy over the past couple of years um the the inability to look past your first read or to feel that um it really doesn't help your cause when it when it comes to the passing offense and the thing that that where that really hurts is in the red zone mm-hmm. and that's also what made this game a lot closer than it should have been this should have been a comfortable win for Syracuse yeah five but... red zone trips without a Touchdown! Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like all of all of Schmidt's kicks were relative chip shots. Exactly. Yeah, the 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 inside the ten offense is starting to get a little bit worrisome. Um, because are we, are we playing the hits here? Yeah, yeah. this this mm-hmm. this is starting to feel like uh, we're talking about a lot of the. And again, this is this is the interesting part about this football team is that throughout with all these issues, they are still four and zero. And this is not to discount any of that, but I think this does actually segue really nicely into the um, does Syracuse deserve to be ranked conversation? Um, Because does this team... Before we go there, though, I think there's still a little bit more from the game we we need to touch on. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Um, that's fair. Because that... I I, I think that'll be a good... That'll be a good closer of where we are, because anybody who's listening, I'd assume you're not expecting a deep Wagner preview from us. No, the preview is don't get hurt. Um, <laughs> is this the part where we now talk about how much I think Oranda Gatson might be the wide receiver we've been looking for since... I uh... told you last week! He did. <laughs> he did. <laughs> okay, Christian, do your victory lap. Take the take the lap. <laughs> okay. This isn't the receiver um, you're looking for. <laughs> he, he's so good. Um, in a way that I did not expect him to be good. The pr- um, again, the problem is, like I said last week, he's great. Everyone else, eh, eh. I I almost wonder if they're not using the rest of the talent the way they could. I think um, they. You know what they. You know what I think also happened. I think they flopped Damian Alford and Devon Cooper's rules. Yes. Yeah, that was something I because, was kind of thinking about. Because Alford was the guy over the middle, and Cooper was the guy on the sideline. That should be flipped. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Cooper. Cooper seemed weirdly quiet the last couple of games after being really active in the Louisville game. I th- and I think it's what Christian said. I yeah, think because, because look at all the balls. Those. Yeah, look at all the balls that uh, Schrader targeted him with. They were all outside the numbers. 
Yep. And Cooper's a slot guy. So use them yeah. like a slot guy should be used and not on out routes all the time. Yeah. Everything in those first two weeks was, you know, ins or posts or, mm -hmm. you know, stuff that even a couple, you know, short hooks that he could just get the ball in space and do something with. And that's his game. Whereas playing yeah. him out on the sideline, uh, like you said, the only thing I remember him hitting were a couple outs. Uh, He's also Cooper's also a nice lead run blocker. Weirdly, like when they put him in he's, motion, oh, he's and a stock he's, blocker. Like he he can he can block open field pretty well. Yeah, so I feel like that's again lines better up for him to be playing inside uh, more than playing outside. Um, I, in general, uh, so is if Gatson's the true number one here. What is the role for the other wide receiver groups? I'd like to see Syracuse run like a more true Rams um, pro set where there there's three wide receivers that we can reliably count on to get most of the snaps, and then we rotate out based off of situations. Are we are we comfortable that the top three is at this point Alfred? Uh, uh, yeah, Alfred, uh, Cooper, and Gadsden, or do we think that there's there should be? some more experimentation, some more rotations in within that top three group. Pena. 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 Yeah, Pena. Yeah. Pena, Pena did show some good stuff. Um, I can never Jackson tell. We've actually got to, we got to check a pronunciation guide on that because there's yeah. no NEA or there's no tilde on the... Uh, <laughs> Courtney Jackson also hasn't been targeted that much either. Yeah. And I can't tell if that's because he's been running bad routes or Garrett Trader has been fixating on a guy that isn't him. Most well, of the time yeah. that he's on the field. I which mean, you is... have Cooper or a 6'5", target. Like, who are you going to look to? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, the, the wide receiver also, room is just also, confusing. Yeah. <laughs> also, I don't, I don't understand why Damian Alford shouldn't be running anything else other than just a go route down the sideline. Yeah. He's shown that's... Why not? Like, yeah. either a go route or, like, a deep-ass post and just... Exactly. Uh, like, yeah, like a 15-yard post. Yeah, just send him. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, why not? He's 6'6". Six, six. Although, uh, you know correct, somebody correct else if I'm we crazy, haven't... does Aranda Gadsden feel, like, look and feel bigger than he, or than Alfred? Yes. Yes. Even though Alfred is technically taller and heavier. Yes. I don't know why. <laughs> it just looks weird. No, I think I think well, this Gatson goes is to also like, six five. Yeah, Alfred six six. Yeah, so it's supposedly, close. but in football, in football measurements. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, six six two two eleven, but Gatson is six five two sixteen. Okay, so a little little beefier, so he probably yeah. looks just a little bit beefier. Yep. I think the other thing with Gatson though is that um, Alfred for you know apologies to him but like he kind of lumbers down the field he's not really an explosive runner like he kind of feels like a chase claypool type where he's more of an athletic tight end than a true like wide receiver and gadston at least from what i've seen like the the deep play over the middle that they had they showed that route that he ran where he just kind of sold the fake move where he sold the move inside so well um it's clear that his you know his father was an NFL wide receiver. There is there is a level of intelligence and a level of just like physicality in his game that is something that you cannot necessarily learn from just watching YouTube videos. Some of that is genetic and some of that is just your dad pulling you aside and going, hey, try this. 
so what you're saying is that we have their positions flipped on the depth chart. Yes. That Alfred should be the tight end and Gadsden and should be the uh, the X. Do we have to drink for the Steelers reference on the pod, by the way? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in all in all seriousness, I actually like. Max Manning is a fine blocker and he's a fine wideout, but he's still, I don't think he's quite at a, like a level where I, he needs to be on the field every down. I wouldn't hate the idea of Alford lining up at the tight end slot and see what happens. Like, I mean, if he can't block worth a lick, then I'm, you know, right. you, you look at the catching thing and I look at the, he's a tight end. He needs to block. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the, I guess the million dollar question. He, like, he was over the Mendoza. Him. He was over the Mendoza for blocking, but that's also stock blocking out there. So that's well, but the, yeah. So Steve, yeah. Steve would fit in right in with the Syracuse uh, coaching staff then, because tight ends are supposed to block and only supposed to block. Exactly. <laughs> tight end is the sixth <laughs> offensive lineman. Come on. I I I just I still I'm happy that we've seen more tight end routes this year oh, than we 100%. saw all of last year. The fact that um, Max Mayne got a legit target this game, I was like, oh okay, we can do that. Yeah. That's good. You know, yeah, it wasn't a completion, imagine, but it was still now, imag- now imagine if that was Luke Benson. Oh. <laughs> Bad face. Damn it. Yeah. I like Max Mang, but Luke Benson was Luke Benson. <laughs> yeah. Or oh, even, uh, who, was, who was the other tight end that transferred to TCU there? Hackett? Aaron Hackett? Yeah. Yeah. Even that, he would have probably come down with it. I don't know. Although we never Ugh. found out, because, well, he didn't get thrown to. Yeah, the these those guys came for the Marone offense and showed up with the Babers offense or with the uh, Sterling Gilbert offense. It was the Sterling Gilbert offense. Yeah, Sterling I Gilbert mostly meant the Gilbert I mostly meant the Marone offense end. because who was the tight end that um was on the Marone teams who like almost won the Mackey Award? Um, I'm, I know who I'm you're talking looking... about. This is really good for audio. Josh Paris. Yep. Paris Bennett. What was? No, no. Paris Bennett was yes. a linebacker. linebacker. Josh Paris, right? That sounds right. I, yeah, I, th- I think that was him. Right, I'm, um, I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm looking this up now. Yeah, <laughs> double double check that. But like, that's that's the kind of offense where I imagine Hackett came to and was like, "Ooh, I could we could run this and we could have some fun here." And that no, just no, dude, you're gonna block. You're gonna block, and that's it. <laughs> Your yeah, hands are that great. Sounds right. But, um. Anyways, now that we've talked about tight ends, now that we've talked about offense, now that we've talked about defense and all the things. Uh, as we have kept saying, Syracuse is ranked. They are top. They are the 25th ranked team in the coaches poll. In the AP poll, they are still receiving votes behind a few other teams. Uh, I think that feels fair. Where this is probably not a top 25 team. They actually fell in SP plus this week. Um, part of that is because again, the Purdue game and the Virginia game are not awe-inspiring wins. The, I think that there's still a lot of things that like we've clearly talked about that they need to work out. Um, but we've got Wagner, a bye week, and then NC State. All things considered, this is still probably the best case scenario with this team. And I'm I'm not Wait, gonna. You're, you're saying a five and zero start is the best case scenario? Really? Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm shocker. I know, really, I know, really hard like... opinion there. But like, but this is a situation where like the five and zero start. We didn't like. Cr- there's no ex. I don't think that there should be expectations on this team to do more than than seven wins. 
I think that that's the point that I'm trying to get to is that the people who want to say that this team should win eight, nine, ten games are not looking at what this team actually is. And if you are if you're a coach in that room, there's still plenty to point at week in and week out and say, like, we there's been progress here, but there's still a lot that we can continue to work on, work on our system, work on work on this linear, nonlinear progression that is coaching college athletes. Um, and keep you busy through these next two weeks. Yeah, and I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I think personally, I think eight is probably realistic on the realistic end of ceiling, um, and that you know six or seven is much more likely. You have Wagner uh, ideally going to five and zero. Oh. Uh, if that doesn't, then this whole conversation next week is a complete trash can fire, um, and then. You have BC, who, uh, speaking of trash can fires, uh, <laughs> aptly are described as one. Um, how, actually, oh, Halfley just got the extension. I was going to say, how long do you think he lasts? But um, he is lasting a lot him, longer. I forgot they gave him one in the off season, right? So they gave him the Babers extension. You you did one thing for us, and now we're going to overpay you for it, even though no one's looking to take you away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Um, and then, you know, in the stupid five games in the middle there there's a coin flip in there at least like yeah it's Notre Dame which we never which we did not expect no I, I was gonna say it's funny because I look at Wake Forest them like, Wake Forest and NC State are not coin flips Clemson and Notre Dame feel like more coin flips which is really weird really weird and, for me to be saying and, and Pitt it feels like a coin flip also if they decide to keep changing quarterbacks every single week well, yeah, I mean... That is... I'm going to believe stupid narrative things and say Pittsburgh or Syracuse doesn't win at Pitt. Like, that's just, like, a tried-and-true thing that has existed in my life, and therefore I'm going that, to believe it as the, fact. At the yeah. uh, field previously known as Heinz Field? Yeah, exactly. They've never won there. <laughs> uh, I I just am like, that's the that's the Ted Lasso uh, road, road game at Everton. Like, that's... That's the thing that you just don't do, and it will take a very special team to rip the benches out of Heinz Field's visitors' locker room and come out with a win. So, uh, apologies for the Ted Lasso spoilers from season one that's now been out like four years. Uh, but that is that's where I'm that's where I'm feeling at the pit game. Now, at the but same yeah. time, though, Syracuse has <laughs> never lost at Accusure Stadium. <laughs> we have not. We're lost still undefeated in the JMA Wireless Dome, and we've never lost at Acrisure Stadium. Still can't say that. That is, I'm never going to be able to say it. Um, but like that's also the principle. I'd like to remind everyone in that dumb 2016, 2015 game that Nathan Peterman threw for an ungodly amount of yards. Nathan Peterman. Oh, NFL wow. backup quarterback Nathan Peterman. Backup. He was a starter for us. Yeah, remember the, <laughs> that was yeah, remember the dark the, times, man. <laughs> remember the pit. Remember the Syracuse Pit seventy six sixty one game. I had tickets. To I that was game there and ended up. Oh, I was there. It was oh. that. You want to talk stupid games? Because this is in the pantheon of stupid games. That was a really freaking stupid game. Oh, you know what was the stupid? You know what was the stupid about that stupid game as well? That was happening at the same time as the Syracuse South Carolina game. It was the Barclays Center that day. I know because oh. I was at the Syracuse South Carolina game at the Barclays <laughs> Center. And 
me and a couple of, and there was a Q's writer who had the football game on his iPad uh, while we were watching a media row. Wow. And, you know, trying to pay attention to the, to the Syracuse game on the court. And it became very clear that we were watching a basketball score while, at, while watching a football game and a basketball game at the yeah. same time. Yeah, yeah that was, the defense was entirely optional that game. Mm-hmm. I'm still amazed that that game exists. I'm happy that game exists, but it is Are you still. Sure? No, it's it's a college football <laughs> no. game. That is a that is a game that should exist because college football should exist to give us games like that. Um, and with that, college football has given us another edition of the Troy News is an Absolute Podcast. Thank you all for listening on whatever platform. Quick call you, out: oh. uh, We missed it last week, where the Orange uh, soccer team jumped up to number three mm-hmm. in the polls uh they were number three in the polls uh going into last week undefeated 7-0-1 they did unfortunately last night handle their uh, get handed their first loss up at actually at home um Georgia Kachevsky ended up with a uh, red card off of yellow accumulation in the 21st minute they played a man down for uh, 70 minutes of the game um, almost pulled it off and got sniped by a late, late winner, I think with like three minutes left by Virginia. Um, watching it, I was watching it last night and I can't, like, I didn't have it written down somewhere. But um, yeah, uh, shout out to Mac for putting this squad together because even a man down, they were looking dangerous. So uh, yeah, it's, it, we got to continue our, continue our football watch too, so. Yeah, sorry for uh, sorry about that. I com- I thought we were just going to ignore that game because it was sad. Um, but looking at the box score, yeah, they man, uh, this team might be really good. Oh yeah, Me? This, this team is really good when they're playing eleven on eleven. Huh? <laughs> Who knew? Ten on eleven, way yeah. harder than also, eleven on eleven. Also, uh, Gianna Leibold coming back really helps. Uh, he shuttles the wing like few others. I love college soccer. Uh, can't wait to watch the next uh, Syracuse game. And uh, yeah, next time that we talk, it'll be post North London Derby week. So I might be a, ca- a catatonic version of myself uh, if Arsenal decides to let me down again, like they have so many other times in my life. Uh, but Syracuse probably won't let us down, right? Right? Here's Famous last happen. words as we pl- we play Wagner. Um, again, thank you for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you to everybody who's watching uh, on Twitch. Uh, everybody who's listening on podcast, make sure you like and subscribe. Uh, leave us a five-star rating, help us trick the algorithm into expanding the Ottoman Empire, and uh, yeah, go Orange. Go Orange. Orange.